The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So continuing uh, reflections on delusion and how we might be able to see through delusion. Last week we began more exploring the, the deepest levels of delusion, the core or human delusions that, that we seem to all share as human beings. There's a lot of different kinds of delusions that we function with in our lives. And many of them are connected to cultural conditioning and uh, familial conditioning, um, um, experiences that we've had in our life that, that makes us, uh, kind of conditions us to certain patterns or habits of views and beliefs. But there's a whole host of let's say habits of um, views that seem more generally human, that cut across cultures, that cut across uh, familial uh, training or conditioning. And those are the three um, we tend to take what is impermanent to be permanent. We tend to take what is unreliable to be reliable as a source of happiness. This one is, tends to be directly connected to the first, that we, what we tend to take as being reliable is something that we've taken to be stable, something that we've taken to be permanent. Sometimes when we take things to be permanent, we wish they weren't, but there are times when we take something to be permanent and we place our happiness on that. We, we, we place our kind of, um, we think it's going to be reliable as a place like, okay, that thing's stable. I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to that. And then we suffer when the natural laws of impermanence have their effects. And that experience, that situation, that thing, whatever it is, changes and are clinging to it. Uh, we, we don't necessarily notice the suffering of impermanent and unreliable until there's the change, until there's something that kind of points out that, that it wasn't reliable, that it wasn't permanent. And the third, um, we tend to take what is not self to be self. And often this is related in a way as well that the uh, kind of that sense of I should be able to control experience, I should be able to find something that's permanent, reliable. That's that movement to find some way that I can be happy is kind of predicated on this belief that there is a, a sense of there is this kind of stable sense of self and and we do that it's kind of imputed also the sense of self has an imputation of permanence and reliability itself and this kind of kind of loops back on the teaching that there is something that's happening here you know, for myself there's a 
there's a you know process that is this unfolding thing I call Andrea, but it is an impermanent, unstable, unreliable process. It's not a thing. It's not something that we can hold on to. So these three kind of interweave these three uh, misunderstandings interweave and the three understandings or insights into impermanent, unreliable, not self. That the, the Buddha really kind of highlighted those as being these, these three misunderstandings are why we cling in the first place. These three misunderstandings are why we suffer. The, 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 the way we navigate our lives, believing these permanent, reliable self, um, that is the, the kind of the, the, the linchpin on which our suffering is created, is, is happens. And so he really did stress kind of understanding all three of these. And the way that the, the misunderstanding, the misperception there, that is a form of delusion. So this is the, the human delusion. We share this as human beings. We share this tendency. It's not... Um, it's not our fault that this happens. It seems somehow built into some of the processes in our human system that um, helps us to navigate our lives. It's useful to, to, to have a sense of certain stability at times. But the, uh, the suffering happens when we kind of land on it and think, okay, this is where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to land here and just this is can stop here. You know, I've got everything. I've built everything up here. I've got it. I've figured it out. So no change from now on, you know, that, that, that's kind of how we, we uh, think we'll find happiness. And the Buddha really points to the possibility that there's a different kind of happiness that's possible when we align with the truths that experience is impermanent, unreliable, not so. So an interesting thing about these three, these, they're often talked of together, experience impermanent, unreliable, not self. Um, often they're called characteristics. And they're, they're talked about as characteristics of experience or characteristics of reality or something like that. And in a way that the, um, there is a kind of a way that, that uh, at one point, the Buddha is said to have scooped up under his fingernail a little bit of dirt and said to his, his, um, his followers, he said, you know, if even this much was permanent, it would not be possible to live the life of freedom, to live the holy life, he said. And so I don't know that I fully understand that teaching. But it does, to me, point to that the impermanent nature of experience is intimately connected with our possibility for freedom. And so um, when I find myself resisting that impermanent nature of experience, 
that is kind of a place to kind of be curious. So this is one of the, the key uh, explorations and we'll talk about it more in a, in a bit. When it feels like something is stable, that is an attribution of the mind. And so curiosity about that, oh, this feels stable right now. What is that? What is that stability? Is it really stable? Perhaps it's stable for a while. The Buddha has this phrase that experience arises, persists, and passes away. And so there are times when something, you know, feels like it's it happens for a while. You know, a state or a situation. But then when we look at that persisting, it's not staying static. And so there's change all the way through. So the Buddha did say a little bit about like the nature of the world in a way in this, in this little teaching where he picked up that little bit of dirt and said, even this much was, was stable the holy life would not be possible. But in terms of these three, uh, three impermanent, unreliable, not-self, the, the, uh, the later tradition calls them characteristics, characteristics of experience, characteristics maybe even of things in the world. And there's a way in which that there's some truth to that. I mean, modern-day physics is completely on board with the impermanent nature of all the entirety of the universe that there's nothing stable in in any moment but the experience that the, the what the buddha pointed to in his teachings for us was not that we have to kind of get that that table in front of me or that couch in front of me, you know, whatever's in front of us, the walls, that, that they're like continually vibrating and that there's nothing stable there. I mean, it feels kind of stable, you know, it feels hard. I can't put my hand through it. So, you know, so, you know, we don't have to, we don't, he isn't pointing to us so much that, that um, we have to understand reality as impermanent, unreliable, not self. What he encourages us to do is to understand our experience as impermanent, unreliable, and not self. He uses the phrase, in terms of these three, he uses the phrase uh, perception. He says, cultivate the perception of impermanence. Cultivate the perception of unreliability. Cultivate the perception of not self. And the flip side of that is that we tend to have the perception of, of stability. We tend to have the perception that something's stable. We tend to have the perception that something's reliable. We tend to have the perception that something is self. And so the, uh, uh, you know, that, and that perception is a function of our minds. So this, this teaching around cultivating the perception of impermanent, unreliable, not self is kind of entering into the recognition that the only thing that we experience, you know, when I hit my hand against the wall like that, which you can't see on the camera, I don't think, but 
um, when I hit my hand against the wall like that, you know, I'm not experiencing something out there, actually. What I'm experiencing is already constructed by the mind. Everything we experience has this component of being filtered through our awareness, our prior perceptions, our prior views, our prior beliefs. And so he's pointing us to recognize our perceptions. How are we perceiving experience? And in particular around when we are perceiving, I think this this exploration around when we're perceiving something to be stable, and today mostly going to kind of land on that one of those three, looking at the impermanent, uh, the, the, the exploration of impermanence. That when we are taking something to be permanent or stable, even for a little while, that's the mind creating that stability, creating that permanence. And so that that's something that's worth looking at. So what is it that we take to be stable? That and this is a so so the teaching that all experience is impermanent, unreliable, not self. And right now, let's just look at all experience is impermanent. That teaching is not something that we necessarily um, are experiencing at all times. We're we're not experiencing everything being completely impermanent. The, the, even just right here, sitting in my chair, there's a sense of the solidity of the chair that I'm sitting in. And yet when, when we uh, can explore this, recognizing, well, what is it that I'm taking to be stable right now? We find that what, what I'm interpreting, like right now, what I'm interpreting as stable is a whole bunch of sensations of hardness. My foot on the floor feels hard. The kind of the, the pressure of my hips against the chair, there's a kind of a constant pressure. But then when I start to kind of go into that and feel it, it's like, well, it's, it's the, the, the experience is not actually stable. There's a lot of variety, a lot of, of uh, shifting, almost a vibrating pressure or a vibrating hardness that's happening. And the sense of the stability is an imputation of the mind. A kind of a, a, a habit that has come through experiencing that many, many times and recognizing, oh, I can take a step onto that. You know, just even that simply, I can take a step onto that. I'm not going to fall through there. So there's this interesting... Um, you know, dynamic that, yeah, it is useful to recognize certain kinds of stability. It's definitely useful to, uh, to, to, to know that, you know, when I step into um, um, a pool, for instance, you know, it's like, I'm going to go into it. You know, there's not the same kind of stability that when I step onto another piece of concrete. So this is useful for us in terms of navigating our lives. 
And yet we, what, what, where we tend to suffer, I mean, we don't tend to suffer so much, you know, when we step into a pool and we sink, unless we think we, we were stepping onto something solid. And then it, it, you know, then it may, it may reveal itself, you know, this is a kind of a, an odd example or a, a, a funny example, but, you know, if sometimes if you're going downstairs, you know, you might mistake that um, you think you're at the bottom of the stair and you're not. And so you reach out and you step and it's like your weight lands where it should, you, you think it should. And then it's like you fall because it's not what you're expecting. So there's, there's, um, you know, that, 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 um, the, the suffering happens when our expectations and the reality don't conform. I'm not sure if, if that makes sense to you. I'm, I'm trying to ex express something there that I'm not sure I'm doing a good job at, but so I'll move on for now. <laughs> um, um, so this um, exploration of what are we taking to be solid in particular around where are we suffering? You know, so it's not, it's not necessary, I think, for us to, to like, um, you know, think about, well, I'm taking this, this ground to be stable as I'm walking across the floor. You know, it's like, I, I, that, may, that may not be um, um, a, an area of suffering until there's like an earthquake. And you find, you know, you can't, you know, you can't uh, walk straight. So when the suffering happens, that, 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 when if there's suffering around like you know the mind is resisting the uh something that's happening in experience and we're experiencing some kind experiencing some kind of reactivity there's some attribution somewhere some belief that things that that something should have been permanent or reliable or self that is not, and so the kind of the 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 mind in its um, kind of wavering around that uh, unexpectedness, perhaps we had been relying on something to be stable. In that unexpectedness, the mind will suffer, and the mind will suffer. You know, it may it may flail back on itself. How could you be so stupid to have taken that thing to be reliable? Or it may flail out on the world. The world is at fault. The world is the problem. As opposed to recognizing, you know, when, when suffering comes up, it's kind of like, this is a wake-up call. You know, we, we're, we're not, the, the, there's not an alignment somewhere with the nature of experience. And so the Buddha in, um, in many places encourages us to cultivate the perception of per impermanence. And so this is a direct kind of counter to our tendency to take things as permanent. So it's using a little bit of wisdom, right? Where we take these teachings in, the teaching that all experience is impermanent. And we begin to kind of use that as a lens 
to be curious about our experience as impermanent. Some of this can be done with reflection. There's a lot of wisdom that can come to us and around the exploration of impermanence through simple reflection and acknowledgement of just the nature of the world, the nature of not only our experience, but what we, how we live our lives and what happens as we live our lives. We, we take most of what, much of what's happening to us to be external. And you know, everything that we are experiencing has been mediated through our internal processes. And yet there are some external things we can talk about and share and recognize the impermanent nature of a human life. A human life, there's a human that's born. All through that human life, there's a persisting of that human life for some period of time, but there's not much stability over that persisting of life. You know, if, if you, you know, you, you um, seeing babies grow, there's change regularly and, and seeing how they learn and grow and, you know, moment to moment, there's change. As we age, there's change. So just our human life and, you know, seeing what's happening. Sometimes I see when I look back at, you know, when I look back at pictures, or if I see a picture of myself, you know, sometimes I look at myself in the mirror, I'm pretty familiar with this, with this configuration now, you know. Um, um, but, you know, I think some years ago, it's like, sometimes I would have a shock when I looked in the, in the mirror and saw the gray hair again, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I don't have black hair anymore. It's like, that was ages ago. So sometimes we, um, you know, we kind of hold on to old perceptions, old perceptions of ourselves. So we can, we can reflect on the nature of our human experience as impermanent. And the, the Buddha encourages this. He's, he's, he offers five subjects for frequent recollection. Four of those five are directly connected to impermanence. I am of the nature to age I've not gone beyond aging. I am of the nature to sicken. I've not gone beyond sickness. I'm of the nature to die. I have not gone beyond dying. All that I have, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. And the last one is a reflection on the conditioned nature of experience, the, 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 the karmic unfolding of our lives. So indirectly, it's a reflection on not-self. That our choices are what shape our lives, essentially, that, that fifth one. And so the Buddha encourages us to, to use our, our intellect, our reflective power, our ref, the, the, the power of our minds to look at the world and recognize, yeah, it's impermanent. Even the simple fact of our mortality You know, we all know that we're going to die. Intellectually, we know we're going to die. But do we really know that that could happen at any moment? That we don't necessarily have, oh, I could do that tomorrow. Or we don't know we have tomorrow. 
We really don't. Truly, we do not know this. And so this reflection around impermanence can be a powerful um, support for us. We can reflect on this too in terms of like the seasons and the, um, you know, just the, the broader, the, the biggest kinds of changes, the, the, the sun moving across the sky each day or the rotation of the, of the stars through the seasons. Understanding, knowing the, through our science, I mean, it's kind of amazing what our science has, has you know, taught us that at some point our sun, which is a normal star, an ordinary star like all other stars, science has seen that stars have a life cycle. They come into being, they live for a while, they persist with a lot of change in there. Some of our, some of our um, you know, events on earth show that change. The, the, the aurora borealis, you know, the particles of the sun, a, a, an explosion on the sun creates this amazing event in our northern sky. Not a stable thing, the sun. It's burning up itself. And it will burn up itself in some billions of years from now and it's gonna explode and, and it's gonna burn up the earth at some point. So we, we have this understanding, but we don't really take in the magnitude of it, the, the, the deep moment to moment truth of that, even at the gross level, the moment to moment truth of that. And then there's the, the, the kind of deeper level, uh, you know, kind of subtler, maybe not deeper, subtler level of, of impermanence that um, can be visible with our, when our minds get quiet. I was pointing to this a little bit in the guided meditation, the, the changing nature of our experience moment to moment. There's not actually any stability in our experience from one moment to the next. Like the sun burning itself up, every moment there's a new you know, fusion of hydrogen, helium in the sun. And in every moment in our experience, there's something shifting the awareness meeting some new arising. There's no moment, one moment to the next that anything is stable. And yet the stability that our mind puts on this lived experience is one of the main places and ways that craving happens and clinging happens. And suffering arising from those craving and clinging the arising with the arising of craving is the arising of suffering and so the the imputation of something in our experience is really the 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 basic place from where suffering grows and so we can start to uh, explore when we are suffering, you know, what is it that we're clinging to? And what is that thing that we're clinging to? The fact of clinging to it 
kind of is a is a uh, a sign. Let's say it's a kind of a a signpost that says, you know, when we're clinging to something, there is an imputation that it's worth clinging to, that there is something that's reliable there that's going to. Maybe we don't consciously think it's going to last forever, but the clinging thinks it's going to last. That that mind of clinging is so short-sighted. And so when clinging, you know, is landing on something, there is some imputation of, of permanence. And so, and 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 yet that and that imputation of permanence isn't necessarily an emotional thing. It's 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 more like a view or a belief. And so bringing in that question of what's being believed here, or what am I taking to be solid here? And we can expand that to, you know, it, it may be that the most obvious form of the clinging is, is landing on what it thinks is reliable or that it thinks I should have control here. You know, that's, that's actually a big place. That's in the, that's in the, in the, in the clinging to the sense of self. I should have control here, but there will be something that's imputed to be permanent. And so what are we taking to be stable? What are we taking to be solid? That question, what am I believing to be stable or solid? And then curious. You don't have to then believe it's not stable or solid, but be curious about the experience of it. It will reveal itself. If you explore it, it will reveal itself to not be stable at some point. And it may reveal itself through... Um, you know, you kind of forget about this exploration and then sometime later it's like, oh yeah, that thing is gone. Or it may reveal itself when the suffering arises. The instability of the thing may reveal itself when the suffering is arising. As the thing is falling apart. It's like, no, I don't want it to fall apart. I thought that was going to last. I thought that was going to be here for a while. So um, it's probably enough from from me in terms of reflection. So I'm curious, what are your what are your thoughts about what I've shared or any anything around this this topic? Yeah, Jan. You're muted. There we go. Yeah, if anyone else wants to speak, please do. Um, I feel such a, you know, when you spoke the last piece, it, I was thinking all along since you started these talks, you know, that the thing that's hardest to get is that states of consciousness are impermanent and how unconscious that clinging is to the ones we like (laughs) to the ones we don't like and um you know all of life can be seen as this um 
wanting to achieve certain states of consciousness, whether you call them samadhi or just having a good day, you know, whatever you call it. Um, and so I can just taste for a second when you were talking what it would be like to be free of that, mm. you know, just to truly know, like I can get it more easily with physical things, right? It's so obvious actually. And, and my husband who's kind of has a mystical bit can actually, you know, see behind the veil and on the molecule. I mean, whatever you want to call it, he can see physical reality melt before his eyes, you know, I can have a feel for that, but I don't, I'm not visionary like that, but, but it's the internal states and it just, yeah. And I think that it's important to recognize that that's really where a lot of our suffering comes from. You know, that's a big, that's a big source of it, you know, and, and, and it does make sense to me in some ways, you know, the, um, as we explore this path and begin to recognize the more obvious levels of impermanence, a lot of those levels of clinging do begin to fall away. And there's a lot of happiness that comes with that, actually. Um, but then we see the subtler levels of clinging to thinking I should be able to construct a state of mind that will be stable. And yeah. <laughs> And, and clinging to that and clinging to the desire for that. And, and there are times, and yet, and yet, you know, what's interesting here is that that stability of mind, which is not stable, but, you know, we use that word, the stability of mind, when the mindfulness is more continuous, that helps us to see the instability. Right. You know, so there's a value to cultivating that stability of mind. And yet the clinging to it, and this is, this is what's important, right? It's the attribution of, oh, this, this is where I can land. This I can hold on to. That's where the suffering happens. Yes. And it's, it's like I, I reflect on it on my relationship. I, I love my husband very much, but, but, but to expect the same quality of love to be the same all the time, right? I mean, we just naturally step in, in, you know, it's just a wave. Yep. And fortunately, you know, hopefully it's not a big wave. It's a, but, you know, <laughs> but I had one question though, Andrea, is, and I kind of know what the Buddhists would say, but is death permanent? Um. So I think the question is maybe slightly misframed um, because there's a rising and there's passing away. And then there's a rising again and then there's passing away. Um, and so the, what death is understood is... Uh, another passing away that may be followed by another arising. Um, the, the, the classic um, image for this in, um, in terms of like multiple lives. So, you know, the, the multiple life model of things. Um, um, 
is the image of a, of a row of candles. Well, this is a slightly different teaching. This is more how, you know, how does this happen? You know, how does this next arising happen? And, um, but, you know, the idea of death, it's like the ending, something really ending here. And I think that it, it kind of has that quality in our minds, you know, the delusion in a way in our minds of feeling like this is a permanent thing because our minds, it's hard to fathom a shifting of consciousness in the way such that it's no longer associated with this particular body or something, you know? So, um, but the, the, um, the image is the row of candles and there's a candle that's lit at the end of the row. And that's kind of representing the burning of that candle is representing this life and this consciousness. And, um, you know, as this life goes out, that candle flame goes out. But before it goes out, it's like, you can tip the candle over and light the next candle. And then this candle flame can go out. And that flame is out. That flame burning independence on that wick and that um, wax, it's no more, it's not burning anymore. It's that wick, that, that, there has been a cessation of that. But the uh, new candle burning, it's burning independence on the previous candle. So it's not that there's no connection between the two. There's some connection between the two, kind of an energetic uh, shift, but it's a different flame. You know, so it is not the same flame because the other flame was burning independence on that wick and that wax. And we've got a new wick and new wax now. So it's a new flame, but there's a relationship. So in a way it's kind of like, yes, that ending it's no more that particular event, that particular arising has ceased and it will never arise again. That's a kind of a death, but there's something that arises following that that's, a, a, that's connected to it. So I don't know that we can say it's either death or not death. It's a transformation. I can see that applying both to the, the reality of one's own death, right? And that, but also loss. Yes. That, you know, yes, that person will never exist again in, you know, in that form. And yet you can love again, but the love will never, you know, the love will never be like it was that one. It will be a new one. It will be different. That's right. Okay. Kathleen, thank you, Jan. Kathleen. Thank you. Um, I, have, I have a question. The recognition of, of the delusions and the experience of the recognition and the processing of that, um, do you feel that some forms of the delusion or delusion just kind of wither away? Not that I mean, in another program, it, it's contingent on the maintenance of the spiritual practice, but that certain things, I mean, when I think about, for example, phys- a physical pain thing, I mean, certain kinds of pains that I've had, I've learned what to do so that they don't reoccur. Every once in a while, 
they might come back for a bit. But there's a kind of a, of a, of a going away of things. Is it kind of like we progress or in terms of the real abandonment of certain delusions? Is it possible to really abandon some of the clingings, certain forms of it? So um, the Buddha's um, good news for us is that, yes, it's possible to abandon all forms of clinging. I'm not there, certainly. <laughs> but that, but I, I hold that as possible. I have confidence in that. Um, and possibly some of that confidence comes from seeing certain kinds of clinging fall away and feeling the freedom that, that happens there, you know, so, so, um, but there are, what, one thing I'll say, I mean, I'm not sure exactly this is what you were asking, but there are definitely, as we practice, and, and for people who, you know, who live their lives, I mean, the, the aging process can be a very wisdom inducing process. If you're, if you're open to this as, you know, not being betrayed by life, but the nature of experience, it, it can be just, just, even if you don't know anything about what the Buddha teaches, just aging and living that kind of accepting that process of aging can be very wisdom generating. So, um, you know, but as we practice, we do, um, sometimes we see certain things that we're clinging to and we explore, you know, how am I clinging to that? And we learn something and it's very, it's almost consciously recognized that letting go. So sometimes it's clear what we've been clinging to and what has been let go. In my own experience, there's an awful lot of the freedom that happens. There's release that happens. There's learning that happens. There's a kind of an abandonment of forms of clinging that, I'm, that, that has never been clear that's never pointed itself out to me. It's more like I recognize it after the fact. Kind of like, you know, maybe, maybe right now you can think of some toy when you were two years old or three years old. What, wait, what was your favorite toy when you were the youngest that you can remember? You know, I, I had this teddy bear. It was as big as I was. It was huge to me. It was a huge teddy bear. You know, it was probably this big because I was that big, you know, but it was a, it was a teddy bear and I loved that teddy bear and I, dragged it around with me, all the fur got rubbed off, the eye buttons popped off, and, but I loved that teddy bear. It was, it was real, I clung to that teddy bear. It kept me happy and, you know, I don't know where that teddy bear is. I don't know when I let go of that teddy bear. I don't, but so the aging process also, you know, what we, so, so there was at some point where my mind realized, oh, I don't need that teddy bear anymore, or it just kind of wore away the need for that teddy bear. So there's a lot of our clinging that does go away in that way, that there is a kind of a wearing away that's gradual, that's imperceptible, and that we may recognize in retrospect. Like I had one whole pattern of, of anger, um, you know, fall away when I wasn't looking. I looked at it in pieces and bits and pieces and, and recognized it and, and, you know, and, and realized that when I looked at it, I was getting caught in it. So I kind of like would notice it and then I just like let it go and I wouldn't like try to work with it. And after months of that, I, I one day I kind of recognized, oh, gee, I haven't experienced that in a while. 
and it was gone. It was, it was completely gone, that pattern of anger. And I hadn't seen it go away. So that may be a piece of what you were talking about. So there's a lot of that kind of thing that happens. And, and the Buddha actually speaks about this path, having that nature of a gradual wearing away. Um, he uses a, an analogy of a, of, a, of a rope sitting on a, you know, that's, that's sitting on shore after having been uh, at sea, you know, the rigging of a ship. And, uh, and it sits, uh, sits on the shore and it is exposed to the sun, the sand, the wind, and, and it gradually wears away. And, you know, we don't see when it falls apart necessarily. You know, it can sit there for a long time and then you go to pick it up or to stretch it and it breaks. But we haven't seen the wearing away. So that's, a, that's actually a lot of how our practice works in my experience. Sometimes we see those big ones. We see something clear and we experience a moment of release and we feel that kind of sense of freedom in that moment. And then we cling to that because we think that's what we're supposed to be going for. And it's just one example of how it can happen. So, so that's, that's a kind of example of something Jan was talking about in a way, you know, the kind of clinging to particular experiences. But that's just, to me, that's the small, that's actually the smallest of the ways that I've been transformed. I don't know if I can completely say that. That you know that some of those big ones have been incredibly profound <laughs> in terms of transformative for me, um, but the kind of the overall releasing and letting go, that cumulative effect. I mean, it's 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 very amazing and profound. <laughs>